0: We're in chapter 8 of John. I'm going to be picking up in verse 34. Craig covered a few of these verses last week, but I also felt like they really tied into where we're going this week, so we're going to start in verse 34. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. Jesus answered them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever.'" So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father. You're you're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil." The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who graciously reveals yourself to us. This is not something that you are obligated to do. You have done by your grace. We thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that we would just rightly see and understand your word this morning as we dive into it, Lord, we pray that we would be like Abraham, that we would believe your word, that we would act upon it in obedience. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't remember exactly what I had said, but I certainly remember the outcome, the outcome was that a bar of soap was inserted into my mouth for a time, and I was sent to my room without dinner. I may have said something ungrateful about dinner, I may have said something hurtful to my mom or my siblings. I don't really remember. But whatever the reason, my mouth had certainly been deemed dirty and in need of some cleaning. I vividly remember the taste of soap and the feeling of being hungry, at least for that evening. I remember being remorseful for what I said. I was probably late elementary age or early middle school at the time, at an age where I was certainly getting too big for my britches. And probably a lot of you parents may be able to identify with that, with your children. Anyways, the whole ordeal made an impression upon me. And the impression was that I can't do or say whatever I want. This idea that we can't do whatever we we want is closely associated ...with a word that our sinful nature tends to not like. And that word is no. i had learned the word no before, but obviously I needed to relearn it. I'm sure that I had learned the word when I was a toddler, bouncing around and testing the boundaries. But I'm not a very quick learner. So there was still a lot of learning that needed to be done. Fast forward to college. In college, I considered myself a Christian. I was even very involved in a campus ministry... But there were still some areas in my life that were not under the lordship of Christ. There were areas in my life that I blatantly disregarded God's word. It was as if I was saying to God, no, and I was plugging my ears and sticking out my tongue at him. But God is loving and wise. He would be glorified and his purposes for me could not be thwarted by my foolishness. I'm thankful for that. By His grace, I was surrounded by a lot of godly people in college and was able to have some significant experiences. One was working as a camp counselor, and another was going on a five-week mission trip to Russia. And shortly after I returned from Russia, I distinctly remember praying as I walked across campus. I remember praying, God, I want to be your son. I want to live as your son. We'd studied the book of Galatians throughout the summer, And that is one of the major themes of that book, our identity as God's sons. And I came to the understanding that I had not really been living as God's son because I had not been obeying him as a son ought to obey his father. God's word did not have the place in my life that it should have had. The condition that I found myself in, we also see in our passage today. verse 37, Jesus says to the Jews, My words find no place in you. Certain words of Jesus that told me, No, I did not allow to have any place in me. If we think we can pick and choose which words we want to accept of God, then it's to say that none of God's word has any authority at all. But this, this picture that we see is a snapshot of our sinful flesh. We do not allow his word to have any place in us. We plug our ears and we stick out our tongue. Often, even after we've come to Christ, there are areas of our life that we do not allow to come under the authority of His Word. We don't want to hear His words, oftentimes, because they are truth, and they display what is really in our hearts, and we don't like what we see. We might be tempted to ask, okay, but yeah, what's really the big deal? Well, the big deal is that if we reject God's Word, we're not really God's children, this is the main thing that I want to challenge us with today. Do we really receive God's word in its fullness? The text shows us that if we're really God's children, his words will have a place in us. We'll first see that his words must have a place in us for three reasons. First, his word must have a place in us because it is through trusting God's word that we have saving faith. Second, his word must have a place in us because rejecting God's word means that he is not our father. Third, his word must have a place in us because if it does, we will never see death. So first, as we turn back to the text, we see that his word must have a place in us because it is through trusting God's word that we have faith. Reading from Jesus tells them plainly that they cannot be Abraham's children because they're not doing the works that Abraham did. See, until the Industrial Revolution, a son pretty much always did the work that his father did. The Baker family had the last name Baker because they were all bakers. The Smith family had, the, had that last name because they were all some sort of smiths, a blacksmith or a silversmith or some sort of smith. And even Jesus was a carpenter in terms of his earthly vocation because he was doing what his adoptive father, Joseph, was, had been doing, which was carpentry. So Jesus asked them, If you're Abraham's sons, why aren't you doing the work that he did? Scripture tells us clearly, clearly that the work that Abraham did was believe. We read from Genesis 15.6 earlier in the service that Abraham believed God. God gave Abraham great promises that ultimately the whole world would be blessed through one of his offspring. These promises were made when Abraham was old and physically unable to have children. But Abraham believed what God said. God's word had a place in Abraham. And because he believed what God said and acted on that belief, God's word had no place in those who were questioning Jesus. And that's what he's driving at here in this conversation because it's really important to look back in the text a little and see who these people were that were questioning him verse 31 in John here tells us it says so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you're truly my disciples these Jews had some level of belief in Jesus they apparently appeared to be believers but he's really seeking to make it clear where they stand. And the point that Jesus uses to make it really clear is how they receive or don't receive the word of God and the word that Jesus is telling them because he is God. They do not receive God's word. They might be physically descended from Abraham, but they are not Abraham's spiritual children. This is affirmed in Romans 9, 6b through 8. It says, For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Children of the promise are God's true children, those whom, one, he chose before the foundation of the world, and two, have faith. Those who receive and believe God's promises are really his children. And also, they're Abraham's children. Those that do not have faith are not Abraham's children, nor God's children. This means that, just like Abraham, we are to take God at his word. We're to believe what he has said. For us to truly have saving faith, his word must have a place in us. So I ask you, do you believe what God has said? Does God's word find a place in you? For starters, God has said through his word who Jesus is and what he has done. God's word tells us about the perfect life of Jesus and how in his death he took the punishment for the sins of all who turned to him in repentance and faith. And that by rising again, he gives his indestructible life now and forever to all who believe. If we believe this message, we are also God's children. But there's another important point of application I think we need to point out here before we move on. Being part of a certain family, or a certain subculture, or, or ethnicity, or even part of a church doesn't make you a part of God's family. Last night at our time of family worship, we came to this idea somehow, we're going through the book of James right now during that time, but we were talking about how it doesn't make you a Christian to be a part of a church. I made the illustration to my kids, just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? And they, they laughed, they thought it was really funny, but it is silly. I think that's why they laughed, but in the same way, it's true. Being part of a church or a certain group doesn't make us a Christian. And that is, I think, something that the Jews were falsely believing here. That they were Abraham's child, even though they rejected God's word. Only faith makes us a Christian. So we might be physically descended from a believer, but it takes more than that to be God's child. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So I would encourage, at least, especially the youth that are here in this room, to think about that for themselves, personally. Have you believed in Christ? Have you believed God as Abraham did? Abraham was saved by looking forward to the promises being fulfilled, and that they would be fulfilled in Jesus. We are saved by looking back and believing God's word, that these promises have been fulfilled in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So I would ask, do you believe? If so, there should be some visible fruit in our life. But that's the first thing that we have seen, that his word must have a place in us, because it is through trusting God's word that we actually have faith and are saved. The next thing is that his word must have a place in us because rejecting God's word means that we deny his fatherhood. When Jesus flatly denied that they were that they were Abraham's children and asserted that the Jews have a different father, they know exactly what he is insinuating. They aren't dummies these Jews, they just had really hard hearts. Verses 41 through 43 say Picking up, um, Jesus starts there. He says, You are doing the works your father Abraham did. Or your father, I'm sorry. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Jesus tells them, God is not your father, because if he was, you would recognize me. No, I am the father, and you would love me. No, I am from the father, and you would love me. But what I especially want us to see here from these verses is that their rejection of Jesus is because they cannot bear to hear his word. They hear it physically, but they don't really hear it because they don't accept it and obey it. It's like a parent who assumes that their child didn't physically hear because they don't obey. So, as a parent, I say, did you hear me? Because if my child physically heard, then I expect them to obey. These Jews were physically hearing, but not accepting and obeying. And this is the connection that Jesus is making here. That they are not God's children because they don't believe, accept, and obey God's word. Even as Jesus says this, there's an interesting connection here between the Word of God and Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. John began his gospel in chapter 1, verse 14, by telling us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. He existed forever in eternity past, but took on flesh. So this idea of Jesus being the Word can be a little bit difficult to grasp. Of course, we don't mean literally that that this Bible I'm holding in my hands is Jesus. We don't mean that. But let's think about what what do words do? Words reveal. Words present a message. Words communicate. Jesus is the Word of God and that He revealed And continues to reveal the Father. Jesus communicated and continues to communicate the Father's message the message of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, love, and glory. And as Jesus reveals the Father to us, he then invites us back to the Father. But these Jews reject Jesus and reject God's Word. So where does that leave them in relationship to God the Father? Well, The Pharisees actually condemn themselves here. They say that they are not born of sexual immorality, but in fact they are, not physically, but spiritually. They aren't God's children because they don't accept God's word. As they reject God's word, they're also attempting to reject the rightful place that he has to discipline us as our father. God's word tells us what we can and cannot do. And as they reject God's word, they seek to reject God's discipline, displaying that they are not really his children. Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 9 say, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? God's Word has the function of discipline in our lives. When the Jews here reject His Word, they, they are seeking to reject the discipline of the Father. The Scriptures tell us that those without discipline are illegitimate children. Since they are not sons of God, there's only one being left who can really be their father. whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Satan rejected everything of God, both God himself and God's word, which is truth. In doing so, as we know, he became the father of lies. And since the garden, he has continued to reject God's word and try to get us to do the same. We might be tempted to think here, Wow, Jesus, isn't that a bit harsh? Isn't it harsh to tell them that they're sons of Satan? And it could seem even harsher when we realize the implication for today, right? There are scores of people who reject the Bible and Jesus, just like those that Jesus was speaking to here in John 8. So does that mean they're sons of Satan? Well, let's, let's think about this a little bit. If we're not actively trying to please God and live for Him, then we're trying to live for ourselves or another idol. If we take God at his word, then we know that there is no other name besides the name of Jesus by which we must be saved. Although I might wish it were true, although it might feel more comfortable if if it was otherwise, scripture presents no middle ground here on earth or for the afterlife. We're either God's children by grace through faith and in his kingdom now and for eternity, or we're not. And if we're not, There is only one other eternal destination. And it's a hard truth, but it's true. That eternal destination is, is hell. Since we're born into sin, that is where by default we are headed. It is only by God's grace and mercy that any of us are awakened and given new life through faith. And I'm not saying that those who reject Jesus are bad people. It's part of God's common grace to the entire earth That none of us, even non-believers, are as bad as we could be. And some non-believers may exhibit more behavior that pleases God in various areas than I do. But we're not saved by our behavior. As believers, we should be increasingly more Christ-like. But we're saved by grace as we trust in Jesus' work on our behalf. This should cause us to be in awe, to be humbled, and to worship. It should also cause us to be very prayerful for our unbelieving friends, family, and neighbors. And to be bold and compassionate with the message of the gospel, knowing that God does save. He is gracious. So we see here in this part of our text that if we reject God's word, we reject Jesus and God's fatherhood. Some people think, oh, well, Jesus is cool, but the Bible, that's a bit too extreme for me. Well, there's, there's bad news for them and actually very very sad news for people that would say that because every story of the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. They might think they can be cool with Jesus but reject the Bible, but if anyone believes that, they're, they're deceived. They've been duped by the father of lies. They have likely been led to believe that God's word is too restrictive and oppressive. Little do any person that believes that realize that the truth brings freedom. That's the same why that Adam and Eve believed in the garden. They thought God didn't have their best interest in mind by commanding them to live a certain way. They didn't trust God's Word. When it comes to living under God's Word today, I think the main struggle of our culture is the idol of self. And our culture is says, I ultimately determine what is truth, but God's Word says that God determines what is truth and that His Word is truth. This idea of being able to determine what is true leads us then to pick and choose what part of God's Word we will believe and obey. And it also leads to strongholds of sin in our lives. It, it could be leading right now to a stronghold of sin in your life, If there's an area of God's Word that you do not allow to have authority over, maybe it's your sexuality, you know, struggling with lust and things like that. Maybe it's forgiveness or bitterness. Maybe it's financial stewardship. If we're going to say God's Word has authority, then it needs to have authority over all of our lives. So we've, we started by seeing that his word must have a place in us because it is through trusting God's word that we have faith. And then we saw that his word must have a place in us because rejecting God's word means that we are denying his fatherhood. And then finally, lastly, we're seeing that God's word must have a place in us because if it does, we will never see death. Verses 48 through 53 Say, once again, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Jesus so upsets the Jews that they accuse him of being a Samaritan and having a demon. Samaritans were a racially mixed group um, that were partly from Jewish ancestry, partly from Gentile ancestry, and they were really disliked by both Jews and non-Jews. So when they called Jesus a Samaritan, it would be similar to someone who thinks they are racially superior calling someone else a half-breed. It's definitely a derogatory, derogatory term that they're using here. The Jews want to make this into a name calling match, but Jesus isn't going to fall for that. He points them back once again to the centrality of God's word, receiving and accepting God's word, and that's the issue at stake. And he's not going to let them get away very easily. He says, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus has told the Jews, one, they're condemned for not allowing his words to have a place in them, and two, for not bearing his word. Now he turns it into a positive, but also with a negative aspect as well. Those who keep his word will never taste death, which obviously means that those who don't keep his word will taste death. They can't accept this because even Abraham, as well as the prophets, they all died. How can Jesus say that those who keep his word will not see death? Is Jesus greater than Abraham? Jesus' claim seems quite preposterous to them. Jesus says, basically, I don't make myself out to be anyone. It is the Father who glorifies me. Jesus knows the Father and keeps the Father's word. Then he confounds them further by saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. They understand this literally, thinking that Jesus is saying that he and Abraham physically saw each other during Jesus' time on earth. But what Jesus was saying is that Abraham lived by confident, joyful expectation of the promises of God being fulfilled. Abraham trusted in God and his word. And as he did, it was as though he had a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. Abraham saw the fulfillment of the promises of God through the eyes of faith. That's how Abraham saw the day of Jesus and was glad. So Jesus has now brought his discussion with them full circle. He started with Abraham, and now he's still ending with Abraham. They question, how could you have seen Abraham? Jesus ends with a knockout punch, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Though the Jews did have hard hearts and deaf ears, they actually understand exactly what Jesus is saying and doing here. He is claiming no less than deity. He's claiming he is God. By saying, I am, he is claiming a transcendence over time that is only true of God. Jesus is aligning himself with the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush, saying, I am. Of course, what Jesus says is true, but of course, they don't believe it. So they pick up stones to fulfill what the law prescribed for blasphemy. But ironically, they were were throwing the stones In the wrong direction. They were the ones blaspheming by denying God's word and claiming that Jesus was not God. The Jews here in this passage will see death because they do not keep God's word. It has no place in them. But what about you? What about me? Does God's word have a place in us? If it does, we will believe what God has said, like Abraham, and then we will act on that belief. We'll also treasure God's word through reading the Bible, meditating on it, memorizing it. But can we keep God's word well enough to make God accept us? No, we can't. I know that at times I worship false gods, I covet, I, I murder in my heart. So I cannot keep God's word well enough. But there was one who did keep the word of God perfectly. He never worshiped false gods. He never had a lustful thought. He never had unrighteous anger. He always honored his father and his mother. He never coveted. He did keep the law of God perfectly. And when we are united to Jesus in faith, not only are our sins removed from us, but then his perfect record is imputed to us. So we only have to do the work that Abraham did, which is to believe God's Word. And as we believe God's Word, our hearts are made new, and through God's Spirit living inside of us, we're able to keep God's Word in a new way. We'll never obey perfectly. Unfortunately, I wish I did. And there, but there will be a radical difference in how our new lives are pleasing to God. And when we do fail, we'll repent and believe God's promises all over again, that he redeems those who trust in him, just like Abraham. So we've seen that God's word must have a place in us. First, because it is through trusting God's word that we have faith. Second, because rejecting God's word means that we deny his fatherhood. And third, because if it does, we will never see death. So does God's word have a place in you? Do you submit to his discipline through obedience? Although our flesh might not like it at the time, does our soul smile when he tells us no and puts a bar of soap in our mouths? Do we submit to his discipline? When I prayed with sincerity back in college, God, I want to be your son, he responded. Not the way that I would have wanted, but I'm not infinitely wise as he is. He basically said, good prayer, Russell. I want you to be my son. I love you, but I'm going to subject you to some discipline that you've been seeking to evade. So I look back at that time in my life that I prayed that, and I see the next two years of my life is probably, not probably, I would say definitely the most difficult years of my life. But at the same time, they're also the most joyful and most intimate with him. He showed me during that time the depth of my sin, but also the grandeur of his holiness, which caused me to cast myself wholly upon his grace in Christ. He showed me my brokenness, but bound up my wounds and brought healing. So if we have a bar of soap into our mouth Because God is good and gracious and a father that disciplines us, let's smile. Because we have a God that loves us too much to leave us without discipline. He's a God that loves us infinitely. And part of that love is to tell us no when we need to hear it, to discipline us. So let us rejoice and be glad, just as our father Abraham was, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived And he died the death that we deserve. He has kept God's word. And as we are united to him in faith, so too do we keep God's word. Because he has kept it on our behalf. So let's ask him that he would awaken our hearts anew to do the work of Abraham. To believe the promises of God, which are all yes in Christ. And then act on that belief in obedience. Let's pray.